Hello, hello, you're listening, you are listening to, to SRM Student Radio Master on 107.5 FM. Do you want
Good evening and thanks for tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. Thank you very much to to RTV and to Moza Musica, Moza Musica, especially because we have been put in touch with a techno DJ duo from Maastricht, Asphere, and thank you very much for letting us uh, use your tunes, which we've been hearing in between the talks. And in the studio today, we are we are joined by two. Two young students from uh, from FASOS, that is Faculty of Arts and Social Sciences from the University of Maastricht. Tara, you you're doing your bachelor's? Uh, yes, I. My name is Tara Miranovic. I am from Montenegro. I am 21 years old, and I am in my third year of bachelor's in Digital Society at Maastricht University. Cool. And Pia. Hi, my name is Pia. I'm 23. I am from Germany, and I'm doing a research master in Cultures of Art, Science, and Technology, also at FASOS. And before that, I did a bachelor's in arts and culture. All right. All right. And the topic of the day is artificial intelligence, friend or foe. Very, very briefly, before we go into the details of the topic, uh, could you please explain your motivation or like why you're doing this? Because you're also student ambassadors of the university. Uh, yes, we are. Um, both Pia and I are ambassadors on social media. We also do events for the faculty and university on campus. Uh, in relation to AI, personally, um, I found I find the topic really interesting. Uh, throughout my studies in digital society, I've done quite some research on AI uh, in relation to culture, politics, how it's regulated, uh, how it's impacting artists, and also I'm exploring it in my thesis in relation to automation of labor. Yeah, it's the exact same for me. I it was I wasn't very interested in it during my bachelor's, but now during my research master, I've become so invested in the topic because I feel like it's very, it's where the future is and it's really something that we need to think about also in terms of regulations, in terms of political um, consequences, social consequences. So I did a research internship with uh, Mark Kuckerbeck in Vienna. Um, great guy, <laughs> I heavily recommend it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, now I'm writing my master thesis on also the topic of AI, AI-generated art and invisible labor. Fantastic. Yes, I think the audience are in for quite a...
Thanks for tuning in. This is Student Radio Maastricht on RT 107.5 FM. And in the studio we have today two students, uh, Tara from Bachelor of Digital Society and Zoe from Research Master Cast. Could you please explain what is Cast once again to our audience? Cast is Cultures of Art, Science and Technology. So a thank mix you. of a lot of things. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. If if you if you've been following uh Fasos then you know Zoe from the Instagram uh feeds and you also do Instagram feeds as part of uh, your yes. yeah, student yeah. ambassador. We are discussing artificial intelligence friend of oh and yeah we are getting into topic. Uh yes, so I think that maybe a good way to start the episode is by actually addressing the big question which is what is AI. Um so yeah, do you have any ideas? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have no I have a I have a lot of ideas. Um so a lot of the times when I interview people for my research or for I talk to data scientists, computer scientists, they all give me very different answers and all of them boil down to AI as a tool, AI is a col- sometimes it's a collaborator, sometimes it's a problem solver and all of, all of the times the term intelligence comes up, but no one really defines then what intelligence is. So it's always then opposed to yeah, but humans do that and then the ai does that and it's sort of like what humans do but different what do you think tara uh i agree that it's a very difficult question to answer and i feel like the more people know about it the less likely they are to give you an answer um so that's why we can talk about it <laughs> uh so i would say that um something that's important to note maybe with ai is that it's not a fully new 21st century development Uh I think going back as early as 1950s we already see the term being coined uh by scientists and engineers and they used it mainly to describe the field of science and engineering and the work on in- sort of imitating intelligence of humans in machines uh and nowadays I think we really see with facial recognition personalized shopping like ai is really everywhere and the term is so broad and it applies to so many different uh applications yeah especially because um i f- i again agree with you because there's also been times where you go even further like you have novels from the 19th century with the idea of like an automat kind of thing that's almost a robot exists and it's also like non-human so it's almost an ai um but especially now you're fa- uh, we're all kind of faced with ai technologies without really knowing what it is mm-hmm. because even the people that work with it then you know they tell you they don't really like the term artificial intelligence because of the things it implies it implies this like general ai idea where it becomes our overlord and controls us or whatever yeah. um so i prefer machine learning deep learning these very specific terms but then i feel like if i talk to my parents about that and told them about machine learning or um, gans or whatever they would have no idea what what I'm talking about was be speaking like a different language uh, so i do think like in that way ai as a term or as a concept is really good for like outreach so if i if i talk to people about ai most people at least have some sort of idea of what i'm talking about so yeah yeah <laughs> uh and i think especially with ai nowadays it's sort of become a buzzword companies Definitely. like to use it to say that they're uh cutting edge and they're developing new technologies when sometimes it's not really ai at all 
Uh, but other times we really see how we use it in everyday life a lot. Uh, I think like if you check your phone first thing in the morning, you might be using facial recognition to do that. So your first interaction of the day is with AI in a way. Uh, so I think it's really become ubiquitous and it's all around. I think, Tara, that you bring up a really interesting point about a lot of the times they say something is AI and it's not AI. So there are a lot of cases, for example, when you're on a website and you're talking to a, a bot or you have the little message pop up about someone that's willing to help you. It's sometimes suggesting it's a human, but a lot of the times very, it's very explicit that it is a chat bot. Yeah. But even in those cases, um, a lot of the times you're not actually talking to an AI, you're still talking to a person or a person is monitoring what the AI is saying. And then intervening if they make mistakes or if um, the AI doesn't understand what it's supposed to answer. Um, so there's, in that case, then that's what, what I call invisible labor, or what's called invisible labor in the literature, because there is this person there working and making active, like actively helping the AI or replacing it in some cases when mm -hmm. it doesn't know what to do. But you're never going to know that. It's never going to be recognized, accredited or a present in any way yeah and i think that uh that's a really good point pia because also i think our listeners might also relate uh to maybe going on a website and being asked if they are a robot and i think that's also a pretty common example of invisible labor in Definitely, a way yeah. uh, because we're asked to identify a stoplight or an elephant or whatever it is and then uh, websites are using that data and then feeding their algorithms with the data that we provided uh, so that's another form i think of invisible labor and tara i think that's actually one of the most like one of the best examples for invisible labor because yeah. it's not just it's not just invisible, but it's also unpaid because yeah. all of us are doing it without mm. getting any sort of recognition for it. <laughs> yeah. And um, I know that in a way it doesn't feel like labor because in a, you're doing it because you want to access the website or you want to place your order or whatever it is you want to do. But in a way it becomes labor, like to say in kind of Marxist terms, it becomes labor because it's turned into a commodity because a company is going to use it to train their AI, their AI, to do they're doing things with it that makes the money in the end and i'm not gonna or you're not gonna see any of that money yeah of course uh and i think that uh, speaking of chatbots uh a chatbot that's been getting a lot of attention recently is chat gpt uh do you have any thoughts pia on chat gpt what do you think i have a lot of thoughts on chat gpt <laughs> and generally large language models i do think large language models are fascinating um especially if you think about all of the work that goes into that and also the incredible amount of data that is needed to train these models. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it goes into the billions. Mm -hmm. Also for things like stable diffusion, there were like over a million, millions of um, image and text pairs that were used to train these models to get them like as good as they are now. And obviously that's just big companies that can do that. Like yeah. uh, someone from like, Someone at the university is not going to be able to do that because they lack the funds yeah. and the computing power. Um, I do think with ChatGPT, what's interesting is um, the opportunities it offers in a way, because I think it can be like an, an interesting tool to maybe structure your thoughts or get a, a different non-human perspective on, on whatever you're doing. Well, I think there is a, there's definitely a big danger in there about, you know, not 
maybe not really thinking about things or just assuming that what the chatbot says it's true, even though they have been trained on a lot of internet data where, you know, maybe racist, um, incorrect statements are made that mm. ChatGPT just reprodu- reproduces. Yeah. So uh, that's, I think, a big problem. I don't know. How, how do you feel about it, Tara? Uh, I, I agree. I think it's a very problematic um, application in a way. It's very difficult to navigate ethically. Um, and it's important to be critical about it and to critically engage with it. Uh, I think it's a very powerful tool and it can be used uh, in so many ways, uh, either creatively, professionally, in industry. There are so many different contexts in, in, in which it can be very beneficial. Um, and I think that if we do use it as a sort of a collaborator, uh, as a tool, like you said, uh, if we don't delegate all the labor to ChatGPT in a way, then it can be a very beneficial thing, I think. Yeah, you you raised an interesting point already um, regarding sort of the the ethical problems with these technologies, mm. because with something like ChatGPT, but especially things like Stable Diffusion, DALI, um, those are, as you said, like they're very powerful tools. It is a qu- it's a question if they should be in the hands of the public as well, because yeah. a lot of data scientists would argue, well, but it's open source. We're driven by this open source data idea. Mm. But there are questions there about the the ethical and the political problems that arise from that, because AI, even though every technology is technology is never neutral, but AI is especially political. And with things like stable diffusion, it's very easy to generate um something like a deep fake or an image that is not yeah. true that people might believe in like the example with the pope and the jacket i did believe it when i saw it at first <laughs> i didn't know it, it was, was very fake. believable yeah. it was very convincing <laughs> but um i i talked to people when during my internship for example that raised the the problem that um you don't really you're not really you don't really know what you're seeing anymore you don't really know if it's true or not mm-hmm. And it gives a lot of uncertainty. It can de- in, it can lead to a decrease in trust in general, like democratic institutions. So even though they're like maybe fun to play with, there is a lot more to think about. In yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that uh, actually, like the big tech leaders would actually agree with you, Pia, on that, uh, because I think it was like three weeks ago that Elon Musk and a lot of um, engineers and scientists from Amazon, Google, DeepMind, Meta, Microsoft, all the big tech companies uh, sent this letter sort of to the world of saying, maybe it's time to slow down the AI race. Maybe we've gone too far. And I think that w- at a point when somebody like Elon Musk, who is bro- profiting for sure off of all of this, like he's one of the people c- who founded OpenAI, who made the chat GPT. If he's saying, hey, maybe we should slow down, maybe we really should. May- uh, maybe that's a good maybe sign. We really should. <laughs> no, and I think, um, Tara, I think there's a thing, there's also the, there's not just the political kind of, or the misuses of these technologies, but they're also the kind of biases that are implemented in them without maybe us being really aware of them. So there's the, there's the agenda bias. Um, a lot of the times, for example, if um, you ask ChatGPT to give you an answer, it can give you answers, but I was I was reading an article about this, and a, a writer, a female writer, was complaining because the ChatGPT was more or less rep- reproducing her work, but without mm. giving her credit or without even mentioning her, yeah. and it happened a lot more to female writers than ma- male writers, which is interesting. But there's also the bias 
that a gender bias can be increased. And for example, all of these tools like Siri, Alexa, they're all have female voices yeah. which kind of adds to this idea of, of the woman being a servant in that case mm-hmm. um and it's it's implicit it's not an a- active way of you know wanting to discriminate against a certain group of people but it just happens that for example in the data sets they're using there's a there's some sort of bias and then that is gets it just gets reproduced in the algorithm yeah uh, i definitely agree pia there are certain i would say especially with um the female sounding voice assistants uh, there are certain female traits that are get reinforced of being uh, submissive and complain uh, complain to end all of that uh, and that really gets reinforced through these uh, voice assistants and then uh, there are different positive and negative aspects that then go into the translate into the real life as well uh, so the way that we talk to these voice assistants might be the way that we then talk to real people in real life and that becomes an issue then if we take what we're saying to siri to an actual person that's a very different context yeah there's also the thing um you know you have it in you have it in the real life applications of these ais in siri or something but you do have it in and cultural representations in, in media and film as well. Um, one thing, for example, if, if you look at a film um, where you have these robots, or AI things going on, a lot yeah. of them are just like white things. Mm-hmm. So that it's also interesting in how you represent people and how you represent these, these technologies because that's also implicating something. Um, a lot of the times what you also get, which I think that's a different side of a of a, a different problem but you also have a lot of the, the a lot of the representations of ai and cultural and culture are very dystopian yeah and then you fall into this idea of um ai is going to be our downfall which i don't think it's going to be it's it's although we have been quite negative so far <laughs> it is not going to be our downfall but if all of the books i'm reading all of the films are like that i might believe that and then i get very very freaked out if i realize all of a sudden that i'm using ai when i open my phone or if mm. it's i don't know controlling my social media feed or whatever mm. um, i was reading there's a really good book a really good collection of short stories from ray bradbury mm. i think it's from the 60s a classic it's yeah. it's very good um it's called the illustrated man where a lot of the stories if you read them now i read them last year i think and a lot of it was very. There was one of one of the stories was basically about a smart house, mm. um, but it was very dystopian still. And I felt, on one hand, I could see, I could see a lot of it in in real life now that a lot of this did sort of come true. But at the same time, I thought, well, if I'm reading this now, and I did get kind of scared, yeah. even though I know a lot of that <laughs> about these technologies, yeah. how would someone feel that might not be that familiar with them? Of course, yeah. Uh, media representations of AI definitely influence the way that we're imagining the future and also which kind of kinds of ideas are we pushing forward into the future and what are we bringing about. Um, Pia, you mentioned a great classic. Uh, another one would be, uh, I think, Isaac Asimov and the Laws of Robotics, which we also saw in the movie iRobot uh, with Will Smith. Some of our listeners may know. Um, and that movie really plays on the idea of uh, are uh, robots going to ruin our lives pretty much? Uh, Will they protect us? At what circumstances can they go against us? Are we at risk? So those kinds of questions really uh, are very present in movies, I would say, and also books. Um, But 
Do you maybe have Pia an example of like a good movie that you would recommend on AI? I have a very good example. Um I don't know if it's it's not fully positive. Um so it's I'm your man, ich bin dein Mensch mm-hmm. and it's a German film. Um it's about a researcher um and she's she's commissioned by the ethics uh commission to decide if AI robots should be allowed to marry or if they're allowed to get some sort of human rights. Mm-hmm. So she's testing out um one of these robots and it, it's personalized to fit her to be her perfect partner basically. And the entire movie deals with the idea of can there be like like is this is this love is it not mm-hmm. what what kind of rights could we give to to a robot like that? Should they get rights? Is what is what is this relation? <laughs> and I I personally think this ro- this movie raised so many interesting questions. I watched it with my family. I watched it alone a couple of times. And um spoiler, but in the end she she obviously falls in falls in love with the robot. Um and in the end when she writes her piece, her piece for the ethics commission, she does say that she sh- thinks they shouldn't be allowed to marry. But it's she says that while going back to find her robot man so she's in the end deciding for him while still saying they shouldn't be allowed to marry mm-hmm. and that was such an interesting way to end the film because i felt like she did re- in the end she did see him as a human or like as mm-hmm. as humanesque but still refused to see that them as legal agents yeah i think that's a very good point and something that really gets addressed throughout the entire movie uh because what we see with that movie and i would say with every good movie uh that features ai is that they're mainly about what makes us human uh and then through that what's actually ai because we have to differentiate between the two uh but in case but in the case of uh, i'm your man it's very difficult uh is he and even by the use of pronouns we call him he but is it just a robot is it a person it's very difficult to tell where the line is nowadays um so that's a very good point pia yeah and i also think the like these are questions of the future obviously like right now we're not talking about you know social robots that can fully imitate human beings mm. but we are talking about a chatbot that can respond to everything we're saying and give us very concrete answers and very also human like answers and um there was this google data scientist who was already like concerned about you know ai having a conscious mm. um i don't i don't think we're at that point yet i yeah. there's still time until that point <laughs> yeah. but it is yeah with also what you were saying earlier tara about the development of kind of stopping the ai race maybe it is a good point to stop mm-hmm. it before we we get into a territory where we have to ask ourselves these questions what that we don't have answers to mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's something that uh they mentioned in that letter of uh stopping the ai race um so right now we have chat gpt uh the next model would be gpt4 uh and that one would be able to uh craft lawsuits and also pass standardized exams and even make a website out of a hand drawn sketch uh so the developments that they're making are very rapid and it's all happening so soon so it might be good to stop reflect and see where we're going with ai
Welcome back to Student Radio Maastricht on RTV 107.5 FM. And in the studio we have today Pia from Research Master Cast. Could you say hello? Hi. And Tara from Bachelor Digital Society. Hello. Thank you very much. And it's been a fascinating journey so far. I have to say, like I explained earlier, the the um, the societal aspects of AI of, of society interacting with technology. And yeah, I, this is something I, I really liked about UM as well, because you have a strong social science uh, faculty and now there is a lot of uh, science and technical faculties coming up and the interaction is, yeah, as, as expected, getting really interesting. So really, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And the topic of today is indeed um, artificial inter- intelligence, friend or foe. And yeah, please, you, you, we wanted to talk about the, the future. Of AI. Yes, let's talk about the future. We started with the past with saying how AI is really embedded in like a big historical background in a way. Uh, but where are we going from here, Pia? What's next? Great question. Um, <laughs> I think so. looking back at a lot of the interviews I've done for some of the research projects, even data scientists told me that they don't know where the future is heading. So one of the, one example was coming back also to this invisible labor discussion we had before. Um, you know, you have people sampling, classifying data, they get paid very little. Um, no one knows that they're doing this work. Some of my interviews said, well, in the future, this might be done by AI, but I don't know it. I don't know if it's going to be done by AI. So a lot of the future seems to be very uncertain also with the way AI development grows exponentially at the moment. Um, well, before we also talked a bit about rights. So should we give AI human rights? Should we give it non-human rights? What do you think, Tara? What kind of rights are we giving AI? <laughs> uh, I think that's a super interesting question, Pia, because um, when we're talking about human rights, it's important to acknowledge that uh, right now there are parts of the world where not all humans have the human rights. Uh, so when we're talking about AI, I think maybe a good idea could be to develop a special set of rights, uh, spe- especially designed for AI or digital technologies or whatever we might have in the future. Uh, and something that I think uh, we really need going forward is uh, are strong AI governance frameworks uh, that really protect the humans, which are human-centered, sustainable, uh, and just ethically made uh, in a way that safeguards our rights uh, first and foremost. Uh, And something that I think also that you mentioned, Pia, with um, the exponential rate at which these developments have been happening, uh, something that maybe we should keep in mind is that we can have the technological innovation. It's amazing. It's fascinating. And uh, it's really something that's uh, bringing about a lot of economic growth as well. But it's important to prioritize societal well-being uh, before all of that. And I think the frameworks that we need are those that uh, simultaneously encourage all three. So economic growth, tech innovation, but first and foremost, social well-being. I fully agree with you, Tara. I think that's such an important point you just made. Um, I think also with the regulations that you were talking about, you know, there's going to be, so you have the EU data regulation, but there's also going to be an AI directive now. And I think that's a very good step in the right direction. But um, from looking back at thing and at research I've done in the past and things I've like looked at, um, a lot of like AI developers that I've spoken to were not happy with the regulation, not because they felt like it was infringing on their development because all of a lot of them are already saying that we are we strive to do ethical 
AI development because it's what we believe in. Also, the side of explainable AI, very important so that people understand AI and that it's not just this black box technology. But a lot of them said that things like the EU directive are just not specific enough. So they have no idea how they're going to implement it in practice. So it's a nice idea to have, but it's not specific enough. And I think that's also something very important to keep in mind that um, these regulations have to be specific. And there also have, there has to be some way to deal with what I so what we're talking about this labor aspect that um, if for example the the question of sampling cannot be solved by AI that we're not exploiting people in Kenya in India mm -hmm. in other countries of the world where we can pay them a insanely low <laughs> wage yeah. of um, there was a report by the Times when Kenya people were doing content moderation for Facebook and they were paid one dollar fifty an hour wow. which it's nothing even yeah. by the standards in the country it's nothing um so uh, there also has to be a way to ensure that if there's a, an eu directive um a, a directive on ai in the eu or in, in the us or something that then companies just don't start exploiting um mm -hmm. country, other countries in a kind of neo-colonialist ai Definitely. yeah yeah and I think that that also relates to what we were talking about in the beginning, like the very beginning of the episode on what is AI. I think that uh, regulators, policymakers, legislators are really facing the same question and finding it to be very difficult because in order to regulate it, we have to define it first. But it's difficult to define it in a way that's uh, consistent and uh, on track with all the developments that are happening. So we have to redefine it constantly. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that... Uh, something that we both agreed on is that we are responsible for the eye in AI. Uh, the future is in our hands and it, it would be irresponsible to act like if it if that it's not. Uh, so that's something that we really need to work on, and especially with protection of workers, like you said, Pia. All right. Oh, that's, thank you so much. I think we are... Um so that's a really nice uh, nice conclusion towards the end there. Uh, thank you very much. Pia and Tara, very much real humans here, by the way. My name is Sham, <laughs> doing the tech. And thank you very much, RTV, uh, for letting us use the studio. And thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed uh, recording this. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hello. Hello, hello. You're listening, so listening to SRM. Student Radio Master. On 107.5 FM.
Thank you.